This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Just like that. So you were right with defending her. Yeah. See, I defended her honor all this yeah. time, and she made me look good. I like it. I like it. Got a fun show today. I think it's going to be a fun show. It's going to be an amazing show. Well, yeah. Guaranteed. David Spivey Jr. is yes, in the sir. house. Yes, sir. And he's got a past that we're going to discuss. And Killian. <laughs> did I say that you in did. an Irish way, sort of? Yeah, it sounded all right. You say it. Killian. Killian. Yeah, Killian Dunn. Killian Dunn. Yep. So good. But so good. Conor McGregor fan. I, I instantly like you for that reason. I am. Well, he's, you know, he's the pride of Ireland. Well, he's... let's just talk about that real quick. Yeah. Uh, I, the UFC didn't announce it yet, but Conor claims June 29th, International Fight Week, Conor versus Michael Chandler at 185. Could that be right? I saw that. I, uh, geez, I don't know. I feel like <clears throat> he can kind of, he can do the it. The king gets what he wants. Yeah, he, he can do it. <laughs> and I'm okay uh, with it. Well, that being said, I mean, the second it gets... And yeah. it's like, I, I have to go to it. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Have you been to his fights before? I've here? never been to one of his oh, fights. Oh, it's crazy. No, never. It's yet. almost scary. I think all of Ireland shows up. Um, <laughs> I've seen the videos. It's insane. Yeah. I went. I saw Connor versus uh, Mendez. Mm -hmm. So I was at that fight. I was at Connor Nate 1. Or no, sorry, Connor Nate 2. Oh, wow. I was at. I didn't see the first one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was at Connor Aldo. Um, wow. and I was at Connor Khabib and I was at Connor Mayweather. Oh shit. Yeah. So I am pro Connor all the way. Wow. Yeah. That's Which awesome. kind of sucks. Cause I do love Chandler too. Um, right. But if I had to pick, you'd pick Connor. It's Connor. Yeah. We like yes. that. Nobody may mad at you for that. Yeah. No. Right. Can't be. Uh, do you have a fight prediction if it is Connor Chandler? Oh, Matt, well, if I say anything other than McGregor, right. I can't go back to Ireland. But can you be like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true, they won't let you in. Yeah. Uh, but can you pick the round? Like, oh, like does I, it go to the distance? I what really, do you think? I really don't know. I Like, if Connor's going up a ways, like, I could see it not going all the way. I don't know. I, I'm always going to say McGregor because yeah. I, I am a fan. And, Me too. And, and I'm Irish, of course. But I don't see it going... Going all the way. I'm going to make a bold prediction, and this is not anything against Chandler, because, again, Chandler is, like, literally my number two favorite behind Connor. I think it's Connor round one. Really? I do, just because, uh, you know, Chandler is... Uh, Chandler, if he wrestled, would out-wrestle him and would win the fight. But I just don't... I think Chandler is... He's for the people, and he's for the fans, and he just wants it to be exciting, and he's, like, going to go out there, and he's going to go toe-to-toe. And he's very aggressive, and Connor fights really well backing up, and he counters really well backing up with that left. And I just think that's what it's going to look like. Yep. Well, as an Irishman, you know where my loyalty stands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say no more. And you're an author. I am. Yep. Uh, was this the first book you wrote, or that's my fourth book? This is your fourth book. Yep. This one happens to be about this man right next to me. I like it. <laughs> uh, so tell me. I don't know which way I want to go with this. Uh, how did you guys even meet? All right. So. I was doing private security. Okay. And uh, I happened to work an event that him and his uh, buddy, Connor, were, was throwing on New Year's Eve. Okay. And so met Connor 
I was at the front desk checking tickets. Just so happened we started talking. And then I started, well, you know, I'm doing YouTube as well. I'm trying to get out there. My goal is to be a motivational speaker. He's like, well, what's your content? And I'm like, motivation. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. And then uh, so we talked a little bit. I didn't think it really would go too far because a lot of people just talk. And then, like, once you turn around, they're like, what was that guy's name again? Yeah. So he checked my stuff out, called this guy all excited, and uh, he checked it out. Just so happened I went to um, Snake Pit, which is like a networking event that they uh, throw. And I saw Killian outside, and he was like, yo, Dave, I've been watching your content nonstop, bro. Like, I want to write a book about you. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like, he's like, you sure? I'm like, dude, let's do it. Like, as soon as you're ready, I'm ready. He's like, all right, cool. And then it actually kind of, it actually, not even kind of, but it actually created like a friendship brotherhood because like, like now we're hella close. So it's like, yeah. all right, cool. So that's how, that's how it started. What is that process like? Is it you sitting down basically doing this with him, but not on a microphone, like almost like an interview and getting the whole story out and taking notes kind of thing? And Yeah, kind of. We, um, <clears throat> like Dave said, I mean, I, I watched like all of his shit. Like when I found out about it, I watched, I watched, I want to say every video. So I had like a really good understanding of what happened and uh, how Dave felt about it. So Basically, we would, over the course of a month, we would just chat like four times a week, probably for an hour or two every time. I would come prepared with questions, but categorize. So one day I would come in and be like, okay, today we're going to talk about like, you know, what um, being a member of a gang is like in prison. And if you like step out of line, what happens to you? So yeah. keeping it like real specific. But then we'd have days where like we'd have like we'd have like fun days. We'd be like, all right. Now talk to me about women. Like talk to me about right. this. Talk to, to get to, to know that. him because you need to know exactly. who he is, yeah. what he's like. No, he asks about right. women so he can learn how to get them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's also a bastard. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll throw me under the bus. Um, but yeah, so we re I mean, he, like he hit the nail on the head. Like we, we, it was an interview process, but we became wicked close. Yeah. Like I wrote the book from Dave's perspective. So it's a first person perspective. Like okay. I had to essentially just understand how Dave like thinks and, and how he feels and, and, uh, and yeah, just all of the above. And uh, so when I was writing the book, I felt really connected to him and we would talk all the time. I mean, dude, even the book's been out for a few months now. Like my mom has texted Dave, like my family want it. to, my family are going to be in LA in, in like a month and a half. And they're like, when can we meet Dave? I was like, the second you get here, like, he'd love to meet you. So yeah. it's awesome, dude. I, like, I've written other books, and I've written other books about people, and Dave is by far the closest I've ever gotten to anyone. Wow. Okay, yeah. so now with all that said, uh, let's tell the people, what did you do? So you were incarcerated for 15 years? Yes, so mm -hmm. I was um, incarcerated for 15 years, but I originally had a life sentence. Oh. Yeah, I was um, arrested at the age of 17 for first-degree murder, Attempted murder, shooting an occupied dwelling, and later add charge for a conspiracy to commit first degree murder, all with gang enhancements. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if this is rude to ask, but you did it? Yes. Yeah. And you were 17? Yes. And they tried you as an adult, obviously. Yes. Um, what, was, what was that like? I mean, when you did it, uh, you're young and you don't, you're, you're probably working off adrenaline and, and whatever goes with all that. And then when you finally get caught, like how soon after you did it, did you get caught? Down the street. Really? Yeah. And when you got caught, were you, I would imagine you're probably so young, you're like, ah, this isn't nothing, I'll get out. Or were you like, ah, I'm fucked? You know what? I was more so thinking like, fuck. You know, because 
I always like tell people like prior to incarceration, like I always kind of have that like I didn't give a fuck about anything attitude, like I because I always tell people like I I devalued myself, like I didn't have value in myself. Yeah. So of course I didn't think you were anything. So I just didn't give a shit about anybody. Right. Other than like promoting the agenda of my neighborhood. And so when I was, I remember being in the back seat, just thinking to myself, like, yeah, you fucked up this time. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't my first time being incarcerated. Like, I was going to juvenile hall. My mom would come pick me up, you know, and then it was like, all right, you know, mom, you know, driving in the car. I'm not going to keep me. I'm like, I know, mom, I know. And in my head, I was thinking, like, I don't give a fuck, you know. And so, like, the night of the uh, crime, I was sitting in the back seat, and I was just thinking, like, I can hear everything my mom said, every wise word. Uh, just like, you know, these guys aren't your friends. These guys are going to lead you this way. You're ruining yourself. You're throwing away all the potential that God has given you. And I want to say, like, and I always tell people, like, you would think that that was enough to be, like, immediate, like, you know, I got to change. I got to do something different. But, like, no, this is a part of the lifestyle. Like, I've just entered the, entered the like, the, the pinnacle of gangbanging. Right. You know, I'm going to jail for murder. This is in L.A.? This is in uh, Inglewood, California. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's kind of where it was at. Um, I had moments where I wasn't remorseful about the crime. I was just sad about being incarcerated. Right, at the time. Yes. Right, right. Wow. And um, public defender, I would imagine. So I had a private attorney. Okay. And um, – Shout out uh, James Pernell Cooper the third because he he did a great job even and I always tell people that even though I got a life sentence because he really like he he defended me to the best of his abilities yeah and so I always say that uh it didn't really matter who I had because like justice was served I deserved everything I got at what point did remorse set in I want to say when my mother passed away hmm you know I had just got to prison um, in December second uh, of two thousand and ten. And she died January 18th, 2011, um, lupus. And so I remember just breaking down, crying in my cell. And then it just hit me like, you know, you're responsible for somebody else's family feeling like this, right? Hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. And then like the next year I was in Pelican Bay and my little brother was, uh, he succumbed to uh, gunshot wounds. Hmm. And so I was just like, okay, so this is how it feels. Right. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want nobody else's family feeling like this. Hmm. And so even if I never get out of prison, I wanted to change my life just in honor of the victim, their family, and my family. Because I victimized my family as well with my lifestyle. Sure. Right. So you robbed them of, of hanging out with you in a, in a different way, right? Well, I killed my mom because she had lupus. And so with me getting life in prison, she stressed herself to death. Yeah. So her organs started failing. So that was another victim of this crime. Mm. So I was like, you know what? I need to live my life in a way that I can make everybody proud of me that I'm not, I, and I always tell people, I never excuse my heinous actions. Like everything that I got was everything I deserved. Yeah. And so I just changed my life. Not in a, not in the effort like, Oh, well, if I be a good boy, they'll let me out of jail. It was just like, no, I need to just be a good man in order to, even if I die in prison blues, I can die happy because I know that I did everything in my power to honor their lives. Let me ask you this. Do you feel you deserve to be out? I'll always say no, I didn't deserve. And so it's kind of like crazy because, so my gang name was Baby Roscoe. And I used to always tell guys when I was in prison, like, you know what? They'll give David another chance, but Roscoe must die. Hmm. So that was, I always tell people that was my final murder. I killed that guy off. 
So to say that I deserve, no. Um, it's just I was able to um, be blessed enough to receive uh, mercy. Yeah. You know, because justice was served. And you got sentenced for life. I got 100 years of life. So what, how did that change? What, just good behavior? So, all right, uh, sentencing laws, um, at, at trial, well, at sentencing, we had the 35 to life for the conspiracy uh, state, so it was 65. Motions there, motions there, taking some time off. So I ended up with 58 years of life. And so I remember sitting inside of, uh, I remember sitting inside of my cell watching the Grammys. No, the Oscars. Mm. And I remember they were singing the song Freedom. This is when the movie Selma had just came out. And I remember comments saying, oh, you know, let's end mass incarceration. Let's end this and that. And I remember telling my celly, who was actually one of, like, my best friends from the streets, I'm like, bro, you better get your shit together. He's like, why? I'm like, they're going to let people out who, did, like, really decide to change their lives. So um, got my first step was, like, to get closer to God because I knew that I needed, like, a spiritual anchor in order to even get back to my hum- human side. So, because mm. I was, I tell people all the time, like, I was living animalistic. Yeah. You know, uh, my actions were all animalistic. Uh, so, got closer to God, started, like, reading the Bible a lot. I had a job in a chapel when I was in Pelican Bay State Prison. I always say that job saved my life because I was always at work. So, like, I missed out on a lot of BS. Yep. And uh, ended up getting my points dropped, going to a level three prison in uh, California, which is a lower level. It was still kind of like hectic, and so I hectic never, meaning like, like dangerous, dangerous. In there. Yeah, yep. like I've even in that yard, I've seen guys stabbed like damn near to death. And uh, I remember this Asian guy, and I always tell this story is always funny to me because he was an Asian dude who didn't game bang, but he ran with the Southsiders. Okay, and he asked me like, "Hey, you want to go to college?" And I'm like, "That's almost a movie, right there." Yeah, exactly. It is. <laughs> it's like another book you need to write. Right. <laughs> Let's find that guy. Yeah. And so he's like, "Hey, you want to go to college?" And I'm like, "Dude, I don't got no fucking money to go to college." He's like, "No, it's like you can do a bog waiver and this." And so that kind of like started it. Um, I'll say the group that changed my life was um, addiction counseling program, and uh, shout out to my man uh, Raynard Courtney. Because he asked a question at the end of the class. He said, what made what you did acceptable? So I shot my hand up. He said, no, 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 no. Go back in the cell and think about it. And so I'm in the cell. I'm thinking, huh, well, it was a lifestyle. No, that's shallow. Because in this group, they would call you on bullshit. So you can say some stuff like, oh, you know, what made it acceptable? You know, it's my lifestyle. And somebody would be like, I'm going to call bullshit on him. And then now, like, you're in the hot seat. And I'm like the dude who doesn't like the hot seat. Yeah. I'd rather prefer, I prefer to put other people in the hot seat. So I'm in a cell. I'm like, all right, well, it was either them or me. No, that's bullshit. And then it finally came to me. I'm selfish. And to hear that out loud, I'm like, oh, shit, that like really, really sucked because I was selfish towards my family. Like I, it was in that moment like, dude, you didn't really love your mom. You didn't really love your brother. You didn't, really, you didn't even love yourself. And so that like started the change, like the, the dynamic change. I will say that was the pendulum shift. And so I just dived into self-help like, Freaking crazy! Like it was no tomorrow. Yeah. Um. You would think they had girls in self help glasses the way I went to them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it was like, I just need to get in here and get some knowledge. I need to be better because, like I said, it was not about whether I can go home or not. It was just like I want to be able to live with myself right. because now I've admitted I was selfish. Now I'm starting to see these character defects in myself, and I'm not cool with the person I'm seeing, or the lack of a person that I'm seeing. And so eventually, through that, through going to self help classes. I started doing vocational classes. I'm like, I used to always say I did an auto body class. And I'm like, I'm only taking this class because 
if I have a son one day, I want to teach him this stuff. Mm. You know, I didn't have a dad to teach me tools. So I learned that. I went from there to masonry, masonry to building technology. And so just kept doing stuff, kept doing stuff. And shout out Governor Brown, man, Jerry Brown. He decided to commute my sentence. Wow. Was that a tough, like from the time you heard that it was possible that you were going to get out to you actually getting out, how much time was that? That was a matter of three years. Wow. And was that like torture in a way? It actually was because like once you know that you have action at going home, you know that you can't do anything stupid. Right. Because then it's like, it's just, it's kind of like just grabbing a knife and just stabbing yourself right. over and over. You're like, die, dumbass. Die. And I would imagine sometimes stupid finds you in there. And it's, I don't want to say you don't have a choice, but it, you could be in a situation where you don't have a choice, right? You there might have so to get many... into it with somebody and you're just going to be guilty because you got into it with somebody, right? Correct. There's like, and the, and the, and the, the crazy thing about prison, especially like, cause I was on the main line. And so it's like, it's all these super duper unwritten rules that right. everybody knows. So, you know, racial riot kicks off. It's like, fuck. Right. I got to do this. And, you know, so, dude, my prayer every night was like, God, keep this yard safe. Let everybody get along. Yeah. And if something does happen, let me be at visiting. Let me be somewhere where I have a right. valid excuse. Like, man, what happened, man? I, I was at school, you know? Right. Like, so um, that was definitely hard. But you know what? I still had warped beliefs, uh, even knowing that I had an action at going home. Because I remember um, sitting and visiting with both my aunts, uh, their maternal aunts. And so I was just like, look, I do want to go home. I'm going to do everything I can. But I, I'm not going to be the guy who's getting slapped and making an excuse like, oh, man, I, you know, he better be lucky. I want to go home. I'm like, if somebody hits me, we're going to fight like two gophers. Right. You know, and um they was like, you know what? We understand that and we can respect that. You know, right. it's a, and so uh, thank God. Because it's also dangerous for you not to do that. Exactly. Right? I always say I'd rather have one fight than have to go through 100 fights because I didn't have that one fight. Right. So that's kind of what it was. Um, and it, even when I went to board, I was denied parole for three years. And I thought I was going to actually get parole on the first shot. And so I was like, yeah, I think I did my thing, man. And they were like, yeah, uh, your gang ties are still too like fresh. And so they denied me parole for three years, but they actually set the record up for me to be advanced to come back early. So I ended up going back to board in 18 months, and I didn't think I was going to get parole at that hearing. Yeah. And when they told, you know, said it, I was just like, but that was the hardest time that I did in prison after being found suitable for parole because you have 150 days to be, for your case to be reviewed. The, the, uh, all the board commissioners have 120 days. And then the governor has an extra 30 days because of the first degree murder. Got it. So the, and you can't even get a warning. Right. Or it's like, uh, give me freedom back. Wow. So I sweat. I remember one time running from work trying to uh, meet an unlock. And I didn't know that the guard was talking to me. And thank God that dude didn't lay the yard down and write me up because it would have been like, yep. And so that was the hardest time. The, that. Well, I got out in 120 days after that, but that was the toughest time in prison. Before we started the show, I was telling you about this guy, Adam Clausen, who does his podcast here called Gritability. And Adam was sentenced to 213 years um, and got out in 20. Uh, and I was telling you that he changed my view on how I 
think about people that have been incarcerated because I used to be like, you know, when you see the remember the when the knockout game was a thing, right? And uh, there's just a young guy walking down the street and he just punches an old man, knocks him out, and just keeps going. Like I was like, fuck that guy. We don't need him. Lock him up for life. Like fuck mm. him. That's kind of been my stance on it. And Adam really changed how I feel about that. Like people can absolutely change. And when you're young, you do some stupid things. We've all done stupid things when we're young, and and you guys did some really stupid things, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, Adam changed how I view about that. And uh, you know, it, it was interesting. And then you said you had some thoughts on on that. Yeah. So I have a very unpopular uh, opinion on that because doing so much time, there are guys who I feel should never see society again because some people are just like that, just evil, that yeah. insidious. But I always say, um, as far as the guys. And I always say that's my job, you know, to change that narrative mm -hmm. because I definitely understand for somebody who's law abiding, somebody who doesn't do crime, somebody who isn't part of a gang to, to take that view because it's like, dude, I worked my ass off to get this stuff and then you just decide to break in my house and take everything and now you're just living it up. So I always say like, it's guys like me, guys like Adam who have to do everything in our power to show no, rehabilitation is real. Redemption is a real thing. Right. You know, it's just like going to the gym. If you're fat on January 1st, but you dedicate yourself to working out and eating healthy, you'll look good. Yep. And so that's what rehabilitation is about. It's about dedicating your life to change. And if you do it correctly and you are doing it honestly and sincerely, it's going to be evident. Because so many people, when I talk to them, they're like, wait a minute, you were in prison? Right. For murder? Yeah. Fuck out of here. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, dude, like I always I keep this with me all the time. And I keep this not to show off, but as a reminder for myself, like when when I think days are hard out here, I always keep my freaking prison ID to remember that there's no day wow. that it was as hard as this day. And so whatever I'm going through out here is just it's not it's not this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it keeps yeah. me humble. Yeah. Wow. So when you when you were 17, you went in. Yes. Right? You're in there with men. You're in, the, right? You're yeah. in there with 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50 year olds. Well, at 17, I was in, uh, and it's crazy. Uh, I wish we could have a picture of it, but they have like this compound. Okay. At Silmar Juvenile Hall. And I remember going there in the middle of the night thinking, like, I'm in fucking prison already. I was like, what? I remember telling the dude, I'm like, how they send me to prison already? Because it's like in the middle of the juvenile hall. Bob wire, cameras everywhere. Yeah. You're shackled from head to toe. And I'm just like, what the? And that is like off the hook. Like, it's a bunch of freaking 13 to 17 year old kids who all don't give a fuck, who are all just like, I'm going to do everything to show you that my neighborhood is better than yours. And it's just like, I'm, I, I remember this one uh, Hispanic kid got paralyzed from the neck down in there. Wow. Because his dad got green light and they attacked him. And I was just like, whoa, shit. Like, it was like crazy stuff. And then I remember going to, to the county, L.A. County Jail, like, which is like one of the most infamous jails in the United States. Yeah. And I remember like, I was like 155 pounds. And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like seeing like big ass Samoans and black dudes and like, that are just like jacked up. I'm like, oh. I remember like, what? I'm gonna have to fight this dude. Like, right. I'm like, I remember one time seeing this like really buff dude, and I was like, I just hope he doesn't say like uh, enemy neighborhood. Uh -huh. Like I'm praying to God this dude doesn't say something that my neighborhood opposes, and I'm just like, and he did, and I was like, oh thank God. But it made me start working out more and stuff like that. But no, it's like it's really, really, 
it's it is scary. I'm not like I always say I'm not the dude that's like, oh no, it was it wasn't nothing. Like no, yeah. every day is scary because when people ask me, like, what is jail like? I'm like, all right, imagine from the moment you get out of your bed, you're tense. Right. You're ready for anything. Right. And that's just in your room. In your room. So imagine now when you walk outside. Because you're of in your with home. one other guy. Yes. Okay. So and you got because you always you have to watch your celly as well because you I've seen guys drinking coffee, playing cards, and in the next like thirty minutes, one of them is attacking the other one. Just for whatever. Whatever the reason may be. Perceived disrespect. It could be or... perceived disrespect. You could you don't know that your name's in the hat. You oh. know? Cause sometimes a lot of guys slip through the cracks so much. You got there was a guy who snitched on somebody in like nineteen eighty eight, like the year I was born. And he wasn't a, like he didn't it didn't catch up to him until like two thousand and fifteen. And it's like you, but you never know. Wow. These were the guys he was just sharing food with and walking laps with, slamming him on his head and breaking his nose and making him shit himself. So it's like imagine that. Imagine your best friend is the person that's gonna get you, the yeah. person you trust the most, the guy that you walk to the store with, the guy that you. Hey, bro, I just had my first date. Hey, bro, I think she likes me. Hey. And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, man, come over here real quick. Let me talk to you. He's like, damn, look over there. And you, Bam, he's knocked you out. And he's just kicking your ass relentlessly. You're already knocked out, but he's just, just punishing you until the cops get there. Right. You know, so it's like, that's what prison's like. 24-7. 24-7. Is there such thing as a good day in there? Any day that you make it. You right. know, because... Right. Anything can happen. That's the thing. Like, prison has the most variables. Right. You know, you can. I've seen guy. I've seen guys on their way to a visit, and a riot kicks off. So now your family has driven all the way to because oh, all these man. prisons are always so far out. Right. And so now your mom, dad, your girlfriend, your kids drive for two, three hours, only to be told, "Sorry, we got to visit canceled. Right? He's you're, he's going to the hole, or yeah, we're shutting it down." Everybody back to it's like, what the fuck? Wow. No reimbursement on gas. No, like nothing. Right, right. And the guards, like, they don't have sympathy to tell you, like, hey, I'm sorry to tell you, like, we're locked. They're just like, all right, visiting's over. Everybody gotta get you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Right, right. Where's my where's my kid at? I was gonna ask you what the guards are like. Are they how crooked is that side of things? So you know what? You have like anything. You got people who take what they do serious. Yeah. And people who just don't give a fuck. And so that's the thing, like, and that's what I always remind people about when they when they hear prisoners, you know, because I remember asking this person, I say, you hear prison, you hear my story, and all of a sudden your guard goes up, you have all these preconcept, you know, all these preconceived notions, but you'll help the guy who walking outside whose car broke down, but you don't know that this guy is a mass murderer. You don't know right. this guy. So you're only judging me because of what you think prison is like. Right. And so that's the same thing like with the guards. You know, you got some guards that are like, they come in there, they do their job. They're not assholes about it. You got some guards who, for the most part, were getting picked on all the time by the guys who are, are now in prison. And so, like, this is their time to get their lick back. I remember we had this one guard. We used to call him Stewie. I'm talking about a little short guy with a big head. And he was just, he was vindictive. Right. Then you got some guards who are like, yo, I can make like $100,000 in like three months here. So really? You had, yeah. Doing just like getting, helping bring stuff in and that kind just of stuff? Just off of cell phones. Really? Think about the cheap ass cell phones at a Walmart that you might pay $30 for. On any given day, you can sell it for at least $1,000 in prison. How much? 
$1,000. Really? Cash, tax-free. So you're allowed to have a phone? You're not. Oh, you're not. So they, they, they sneak it in, and yeah. you can just talk quietly, whatever. Yeah, I remember, because uh, I had a cell phone, I remember um, watching Hulu. I was watching Power, <laughs> and I was so caught up on Power that I didn't hear the guard walk by. Oh, no. But I, I had already had a plan for that. The way I was sit, if you walk by, it looks like I'm either asleep or praying. And so he flashed the light inside the cell, and I just remember telling myself, like, don't move. Like, I was kind of like a panther or something like that. I was just like, and then he walked by, and I was like, damn, I wonder who that is. And it was this one CEO who does his job to a T. Like, he's by the book. He's not unfair. Mm-hmm. I always say he's very fair because it's like, you broke the rules, buddy. You got to pay. But then he doesn't, like, go out of his way to fuck over you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I looked. I'm like, fuck. I'm, I'm like, oh, shit. But then I remember, so I was watching him from my cell, and he happened to go to another cell, and he was, like, looking, and he, I was like, okay, he didn't do that to me. So I was like, all right, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. All right, cool. And so I just pulled the phone back out. But, I mean, having a cell phone is, like, super cat and mouse game because I remember teaching uh, CGA, which is Criminal Gangs Anonymous. I'm like, dude, think about the insanity that we, the, the mindset that we have of having a cell phone you know, we think, okay, I'm going to stash it here. I'm like, you know the guards don't have a time limit on how long they could be in your cell searching it. You know, it's not like Domino's Pizza, five minutes or less. Right. It's like, I'm going to sit in here, I'm going to go through, and you have guards like that. Right. Like with the book. People are, like to put things in the books, and the guards know that. And you have some guards who will just pick the book up, shake it, nothing comes out, it is what it is. You got some guards that will go page by page by page of a 1,500-page book. Wow. And on page 1345, <laughs> there's drugs. Right. And prisoners always get really pissed off about that. Like, man, you're a punk ass bitch. Why did you do that? You didn't have to do it. Like, no, that's what they get hired to do. You know, they get hired to make sure the jails are safe. Right. So that's my thing on guards. Um, it's a love hate relationship because you got some guards that really like, have empathy for the inmates, but they know that they can't truly show it or they'll be ostracized by their community. They're, you know, because it's a gang as well with yeah. them. They have a gang mentality too. Yeah. You know, it's us versus them. And that's just essentially how gangs operate. And so you got, you know, just like with your perception on prisoners before you met. Sure. Adam. Yeah. yeah. And so now it's like, you meet guards that, you know, we all say, man, fuck, fuck them guards. But then you've got guards that like, show you like love that you like really desperately need mm-hmm. you know hey man from a normal person right can right? i can i show can i call my dad man he's kind of sick i know the phone go ahead i'll leave it on just go back when you're done he's like whoa yeah some guys like i don't give a fuck right what are you gonna do about it was this your first time talking to someone that uh, had ever done anything like this or been involved in gangs and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. So this was all new for you? Yeah, this was, everything so was Were you just new. blown away by the stories? Because I was completely fucking blown away. Yeah. At every, every like, I was captivated uh, from the very first video that I watched of Dave's. And then were you also, like, uh, just in the short time I've known him now, sitting here, 36 minutes or whatever it is, like I can't even picture this guy was a monster. Yeah, like it's... like I can't even. I don't like. And and by the way, when I I saw today on Instagram, I just did a quick little thing. And I just saw that you were incarcerated for fifteen years. I didn't. I had no clue why. So 
when you sat down, I had no clue what you were going to say. I was actually shocked that it was murder. I thought it was going to be drugs. It's like shocked. Like, so you went through all of that with him. Like, like, yeah, right. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I was definitely shocked when I first heard because that night that Dave did security at the event that I was, um, throwing with my buddy. I mean, we, we just kind of shot the shit for a couple hours. Like we were like, nobody really went to the event. Like it was, it was kind of a, a dull event. Yep. Uh, so we had a lot of time just kind of fucking around and uh, I just thought he was a good dude. And then, yeah, I, I heard from my buddy Connor. He's like, yo, you got to watch Dave's videos, then watch the videos and saw Dave at an event, maybe a couple months later. And it's actually really funny. I don't know if I've ever talked about this with you, but that night, um, you know, we were having a few drinks and I was just so interested. Like I was just asking him, I was like, but I would preface every time. I was like, listen, like if, if you want me to stop asking you questions, like, sure. just, just tell me like, right. Uh, but I was so intrigued, and uh, and then I remember these two, uh, this girl and this guy, came over that I like kind of knew a little bit, and they they kind of joined the conversation. They didn't know that we were talking about Dave, mm -hmm. and then they were like, "Oh, so what? Like, what are you guys talking about?" And Dave was like, "Oh, we're we're talking about my time in prison," and the look on these people's faces <laughs> were just like, like they were like, "What?" Like, couldn't believe it. They got so awkward about us. And uh, I just remember being like, oh, I, I got to be the guy to write this fucking story. Like, I yeah. didn't feel awkward about it at all. I felt super connected to Dave right away. Um, the only challenge was, like, I had to understand, right. like, all of this shit. Right. So that's why it took, so, it took months to understand. I, I don't even want to say that I, I still understand it. Like, the book, it, it's, not a it's not really a prison book. Like, it's not really a gang book. I kind of, like, see it as, as a motivational book. Yeah. Like, it's all... I it, like that. Yeah, it's all like first person narrative, all inside Dave's head. The plot just takes place in prison, like it's all in prison. Every other chapter is is like a dream or a nightmare, so it's super psychological. And so my main focus was, yeah, I knew what Dave did. I, I knew how much time he got. I, I, I knew that there was like a ton of violence in prison, especially like gang related violence. And every single day is super intense and like you're always on edge and like you have to be careful who you're talking to about what and especially like even like the prison economics interested me so much like how you know and, and dave explained to me once that you know the the gang stuff like it's it's extremely prevalent except in the economics like if you need to buy something and there's a seller I, those barriers kind of like go down during the sale which i thought was really cool so mm. it was just sort of little things like that that like i had to understand but the most important thing was understanding like how dave felt at like I would say like every year of his incarceration right up until his release. That's a long time, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of growing. I mean, I always say, forget being inside there, like just who we are. Like I always tell people like why you shouldn't get married too young. Cause like who you are from 18 to 21, 21 to 25, 25 to 30, 30 to 40, you're four different people. Right. So thinking you're going to be in sync with your partner along that way, if you got married at 18 or 20 is like, man, you're rolling the dice. Like that's really it's probably not going to work. It's why it usually doesn't, you know, right. You had to go through all of that inside and still you're maturing and you're changing. And you realize like your ways, you know, where you went wrong in life and stuff. And some people, like you said, never get it. Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah. And the, 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 the biggest thing that I learned like during my transformation is the psychological hold that gangs and the lifestyle holds on a person because in mm -hmm. it, and the most ironic part about it is like, you know, most guys will say that they love their mom, they love their kids. But when you join a gang, like, you turn your back on your family like this. Right. But, like, when it's time to transition out, most guys, and I'll say, like, most guys on the main line, 
and nothing against guys who, you know, go S and Y or anything like that, which is sensitive needs yard, or as most people probably know, is protective custody. Nothing against those guys, but like for a lot of those guys, it's easier to transition out of gangs because it's like you can't go to your gang anyway. You're in prison. You're considered no good in the lifestyle. So like for the guys on the main line trying to change, it's like that's the hardest grab. Like guy, I know I know dudes, and then the craziest part about like I knew a guy teaching self help classes with me. Low key, I always kind of knew something was kind of like off about him, but he knew his stuff. But come to find out, like this dude was the freaking guy running the yard for the Hispanics, hmm. and I was like, and we had talks, not about that because I never knew that until somebody decided to drop a kite and get everybody rolled up. But like we would have like these really like deep talks about change and better in the community and getting out here for the youth. And I was like, I really don't like this dude, but I know that he'd be a positive and a powerful, like he'd be a powerful person for change. And that's how, that's how like deeply it, it holds your mind. Cause it's like, but like one of the things I did before, um, like while changing is I would ask a lot of guys who had already transitioned out of gangs, gang lifestyle, you know, in prison. And a lot of guys use religion as their way to get out. And like I, me, I didn't want to use religion because you got to do, oh, I'm Christian, I'm Muslim, I'm Jewish. And I'm, I always felt like, okay, well, what happens when you're not like super orthodox about your religion anymore? Do you go back to the gang? So I didn't want to do that. And I, I just, I always knew that I need the spiritual connection. So that's where, where it came from. But it was like, I would ask, how, how was it for you? Like, how'd you do it? You know, and um, I remember uh, my, uh, my my good friend Jawad, he, he's an uh, ex-crip, you know, uh, Muslim guy. And he was like, you know what? When you do decide to do it, they gonna make you feel like you an aban- like you abandoned them. He said, and you're gonna feel like you're abandoning them. And I was like, okay. And so then I asked another guy, hey, yo, Musa, he's a Muslim guy. He's from uh, East Palo Alto. And I was like, you know, how do you do it? He's like, give him less and less time. He said, so if you go hang out at the gang table every day, miss one day a week, then you miss two days. Mm. Then if you go. Give them 30 minutes or less. Give them. So I was having all these tools and I was at, because like my favorite step in CGA is step two. Like we look to those who have trudged out of the, uh, the path of insanity before us. And I always like, I told them at the board, like when I joined the gang, I didn't know anything about being a crip other than they wore blue and said, cuz right. you have to learn how to be a crip. So you have to unlearn how to be a crip. You have to unlearn how to do all the things that sent you to prison. Mm-hmm. And so I would just pick these older guys' brains. I, that's all the guys I would, you know, do laps with. Like one of my workout buddies was actually one of the original founders of the Parus. And it was so ironic. And I used to tell him, like, here it is. You, you know, one of the guys who started Paru, anti-crip thing. And now, like, you work out with me because I was still cripping. And he was like, yeah, but you're a good dude. And so I would just... Always ask questions. Always ask questions. Like, I was a sponge when it came to like rehabilitation. I was like, I need to know everything possible yeah. because that's the only way I'll be able to take these chains, you know, of, of of ignorance off of me. When you got out that first day, is it like now what? You know what? It was just so surreal. Yeah, I remember getting in the back of the police car, 
um, and they, they drive you out. Yeah, they drive us to the bus stop, bus station. And I remember getting, and it was, you know what? This is the craziest thing about it because I'm like, go to R and R, getting ready to get released, and they have the wrong social. No way. <laughs> they actually had my dad's social. <laughs> And my oh, heart no. is pounding. <laughs> and you're like, do I say something? I'm like, no, they knew it was they the knew. wrong okay, one. Okay, okay. And they're like, wait a minute. I'm like, they're like, what's your social? So I, so I say it. I'm not going to say it now, scammers. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I say it, and they're like, this is the wrong one. And I was like, no, no, it's not. They're like, no, they say something else. And I was like, well, I'm a junior. I'm like, that's probably my fucking dad's social security number. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, they're going to have to call every cop oh that's in God. this freak. They're going to have to call all the COs. I am not leaving R&R tonight. I'd like, well, in the morning, I am not leaving this place. Yeah. And so he called the watch commander, and they got it resolved. And I was like. Like quick? No. Hours? It might have been quick, but it, yeah, it, it felt was like quick. Eternity. But it felt like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting resentenced. I'm, yep. like, I'm, like, I'm like starting to shake. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like. I'm going to punch this dude, you know, yeah. like, no, it's, you're the one trying to stop me from getting out of prison. So they let us out. Now I'm looking, I'm like, whoa, like I'm walk, I'm outside of the prison. Do they buy you the bus ticket? No. no. So they give you, and Voucher they're trying to change it too. They like, it doesn't matter how much time you do. You like, you can do three months or you can do 30 years. They give you $200 on a prepaid credit card to restart life. Come on. And part of the money you have to use to get home. Which is a hundred bucks at least, it, right? exactly. So <laughs> you have eight dollars. Well, <laughs> so, but the bus tickets are like really cheap. It's Greyhound, right? Okay. And so I remember getting in the back of the uh, squad car, and I'm just like, and I remember because it was a uh, Hispanic guy getting really. I think, yo, this is the first time I've ever been in the back of a police car without it being cuffed. Mm. I'm like, this is so surreal. I'm just like looking at like the beautiful landscape as we're driving. Yeah. And. It was so funny because um, I went to Sacramento uh, bus stop, called my aunt. Just so happened somebody had a cell phone. I'm like, dude, can I use your phone? Y'all don't got to touch it. Put it on speak. So my aunt ordered me an Uber. I didn't even know anything well, about Uber. You didn't Ubers. know what Uber was, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, what happened to the taxis? Right. And so the Uber picks me up, takes me to the um, airport. I got to use my prison ID to buy a ticket. And so I remember getting on the airplane well, before I got on the airplane, I bought a hamburger and a beer uh-huh. because I always heard people in prison talk like free staff always like, yeah, you know, if you have a hamburger, you got to have a beer. Just like if you have a hot dog. And I was like, oh, OK, that's what adults are doing. Right. Uh-huh. So I bought that and I was like, hey, I'm a fucking adult now. <laughs> you know, so I get on the, on the uh, airplane. Like it should have been obvious I was like fresh out of prison because like everybody has cell phones and I'm just sitting around just. Looking around, right. and this lady's playing a game on her phone. I wanted to tell her, like, can I see your phone? Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, yeah, but that'd probably be really, really awkward. So just getting off and just, like, so surreal. Got back to uh, LA, LAX. First thing I did was go get a cell phone. Uh, then I went to the mall, and I had, like, uh, an anxiety attack because there was so many people, and everybody's just moving so fast. Because in prison, we all move slow, and we move with respect. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll do air quotes because it's not true respect. It's more of fear. Sure. And, uh, you know, you tell somebody. It's don't if you're piss walking, anyone off. Basically. Right. If you walk up on, and I still do it to this day. It's an old habit. But I, I kind of like it that if, I like, if I'm walking up on you in the store, I'll say, hey, right behind you. Or, hey, left side. Just kind of give you a heads up. Yeah. And so 
Mm. It's like so many people. Does it just, bother you when someone comes up on left or right or behind you? Well, I'm like super hyper, hyper vigilant. Right. So like I'm always you know, seeing You're things. switched on Yeah, still. I can hear people walking. Right. And so like I'll like easily like walk and I'll just be like, all right, I see this dude. And uh, what pisses me off is like how close people walk towards you. You yeah. know, like even if they're walking this way, it's like. There's a whole lot of space right. for you to just get the hell out of my way. Yeah. You know, sometimes I want to just grab you like, do you see that your space? Get your ass over right. here. But it's like, uh, that's we to- that's how they are. That's, how, you know, so that's kind of like my own little pet peeve with society is just. Yeah. But I understand it. Everybody's on the like hustle and bustle. Everybody's trying to like, and that doing security, because I love to people watch because mm-hmm. I was incarcerated for so long. That's what you do. And you can't really look at guards too long, especially like the female guards. You know, it's kind of always like. You know, so like I take drives and just like watch people during security. I just watch people. And like my conclusion is like everybody's just trying to get to where they're trying to go and get through the day. So like that's where I have the empathy. Like, all right, you know, people aren't like they're not intentionally out to get trying you. to be rude. Right. It's just and you don't know what people are going through. You know, we make a lot of assumptions all the time. hundred percent. You know, a guy bumps you and doesn't say anything. You think, oh, what an asshole. But no. Maybe his wife water just broke. Maybe his mom just died. Right. And he's trying to hurry up and get he's to where he's torn up. Go. He's right. So I try to just you know not make the assumptions about people and just try to. I just try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Was it hard to do that at first? Not really, because I didn't want to go back to jail, and I knew like if I if I held on to like that, I was going to remain like a prisoner. Yeah. In my mind, and then it would eventually send me back to prison in real life. So I just kind of like know where I came from. Yeah. And so I'm like. It's not worth it because, number one, I'm going to piss on the backs of everybody that's trying to come home. Mm -hmm. I'm going to piss on the backs of everybody who's made it possible for guys to be able to come home. And then the embarrassment of going back, hey, what are you in jail for? Like, man, I freaking socked this uh, Irish dude named Killian for fucking bumping me. They're like, are you fucking serious? Like, you had life in prison and now you're back for hitting somebody for bumping you? Right. And, like, then I would have to just live with that embarrassment and shame. And then I would shame my family all over again, the people who believed in me. Right. And uh, so if some, you certainly you made some friends while you're in there. A lot of, like all my friends are uh, ex-convicts. Now, if any of them get out, are you technically not even allowed to associate with them or how does that work? So I'm not on parole. Okay. Yeah, I got off parole. Oh, once you're free, you're free. After you get off parole, you're free. Got it. Okay. Because while you're on parole, you still belong to the state of California. Okay. And so I say it now because we're all off parole, but me and all my buddies, he knows Keith and, um. we were on parole going to exercise like every Sunday going on hikes. And I remember one time, dude, this was the most funniest thing. We're driving, we're coming back from the Culver City stairs. And <laughs> he he got out a year before me. And uh the police get right behind us. And we are sweating harder than when we were hiking. <laughs> he's like, he's like, bro, the police are behind us. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, isn't it crazy doing nothing wrong, really? I mean, you know right. what I mean? Like, you're, you know you're, you're on the up it's and up. It's a technical violation, right, not right. A, like a real, like, right. we're going and knocking over stores right. or anything. But it was just like, we're both, because I was on lifer's parole. Like, if I go back, I go back with a life sentence. Keith, we always say that he's a fake lifer, because he only had, he had, and I say this only, he had 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I don't know if you met Dominique. No, I didn't. But Dominique's another one of our friends. And me, Dom, me and Dominique had life okay. in prison. We actually met in juvenile hall. And uh, wow. we always be like, freaking fake-ass lifer. Mm-hmm. So he would have just had like a violation. 
you know, but I would have had to go before the board again. And then the, the question is, you had the rules. Right. This is showing that you're antisocial. Right. What you're not you pro-social. Right. You know, and all, the only thing I would have been able to do is just like cry and just tell them to give me some psych meds because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to live with it. Yeah. You know, so. But yeah, like all my, my entire circle for the maybe one or two guys, if we've all been in prison together. Um, if you look on my Instagram, I have a picture. Uh, when you go to my profile, it's my favorite picture ever. Everybody in the picture, it's for my birthday. Everybody in the picture, we're not only in the same prison, but we're in the same building together. Wow. And now we were all free. Wow. Just having a blast. Like, and I just like, to this day, there's not a picture other than my mom and brother that can trump that picture. How long have you been out? I've been out almost three years. Uh, April 21st of this year will be three years. What is there that you want to do that you haven't done yet? I want to be able to just do what I'm doing, but professionally. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to go. Get paid to speak. Yeah, get paid to speak. Inspire people and And help motivate change. the youth yeah. and also work closely with people to understand returning citizens. Yep. You know, I don't, because I definitely understand it. Because even with my own family, you have to earn the trust back. Because it's like, okay, David's home, but is he going to go back to all that? Because so many guys in jail have what we call prison blues. You know, let's say I'm your son. Dad, you know, and I'm in there for a drug. Dad, when I get out, I'll never do that. You know, And then I get out, the first chance I get, I'm getting high again. It's like, yeah, we knew it. So mm -hmm. you have to build the trust of your family. So I just want to show people in a motivational, inspirational way, like, look, these guys coming home will help society so much more than even just guys who just want to just do motivational speaking, who had humble beginnings and rose to like high ranks. It's like, that is very uh, commendable. But imagine the kid like myself who joined the gang at 15, went to jail by the age of 17 with a life sentence. Mom dies, brother dies, has every excuse in the book to never change his life. But he does, and now he can talk to the, your son who's going through everything that you don't understand. Right. Yeah. It's huge. You know? And it was also a motivation to create my own clothing brand. I actually drew this when I was in prison. It's called Stay Great Above Hate. And so it's anti-bullying. And people always think the bullying of, like, give me your cookies and stuff like that. Like, no. Anybody who's ever been, like, counted out based on race, religion, sexual orientation, economic, socioeconomical status, you've been bullied. Yeah, And so this is for you because people are going to hate no matter what. Whether you're doing the best you can, they're going to still talk about you. Your only goal is to stay great above hate. So that's what I want to be able to do professionally. I want to just be able to just – I want to be able to sell out the uh, crypto.com uh, arena and have people pay to hear me mm -hmm. like just speak and give them wisdom and inspire them to be better. You're going to get there. From your you're going to get there. Your I'm positive you're going to get there. I accept uh, it, man. Have you had any contact with the family members of the, the victim? So I have not had any personal contact with them. And if they ever would want to do it, I would. You know, even if it's just for them to just tell me how much of a piece of shit they believe I am. Yep. I owe them that. But uh, in order to, in order to uh, successfully uh, earn parole you do have to write a, a remorse letter to the victim's family okay. or if your victim is still alive. And so, and I just want to say this real fast because I say victim not out of disrespect, 
it's out of respect for the uh, my the victim of my crime and their family. I don't like to say their name just because I don't never want. Oh, hey, I heard is that guy the one killed, and it reopens up because I don't know how Got much it. they've healed, and they may not even know, or do they know? They know I'm. They yeah, know. they call and they have to inform them that I'm Got coming home. So, um, I did write a letter to them, and uh, so you don't know any feedback from it though. No, and if they never uh, forgive me, that's just you uh, understand. Yeah, because I don't deserve to be forgiven. Yeah. Is it hard to say that? No. I put in the work and I understand yeah. what I did. I, I have, I've done an unwritable wrong. You know, so yeah. I definitely accept. That's my scarlet letter. Yeah. Is it tough to, to still live with it? Um, in, a, in a way? Yeah, because it's like when people do, you know, see the, like the, the, the greatness in me, it's still that is the reminder. Right. That's still the residue that can never be washed away. Yeah. And I always say like, for me, it's it's motivating because it, it reminds me to never give up on myself. Yeah. Because I seen what a scumbag I was, and so that's why I, I like every day is living amends. Yeah. Wow, man, it's 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 really amazing. Uh, it's just an amazing story. It really is. You yeah. Know? You should read the book. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to read the book. I'm absolutely yeah. gonna read the book. Um, I'm glad I didn't do any homework prior, but now I'm gonna OD on your content for sure. <laughs> Um, and so you're working security now and no, I actually work, oh. uh, as a mental health worker. Oh yeah. And, uh, BHU in the psych unit. Wow. Yeah. So I deal with, uh, psych patients and you know what? That is very, very humbling as well because it also allows me to continue my living amends by being of service to others. Yeah. It's not about me at that job at all. You know, yeah. even during security, it's not about me. Right. It's about making sure that everybody else is safe, which yep. in my prior life. I didn't give a shit if you were safe or not. So it's still a living amend. So I love doing that, you know. What were the other three books that you wrote? What was the subject matter? Uh, so two are, two are more. One is pure fiction. Yeah. Uh, there's another book that's mostly fiction. It's kind of inspired by this musician I knew in Boston that uh, did like sort of moved out to L.A., did like a giant road trip and then had sort of like a mental breakdown and had to put the pieces of his life back together and he did that through music the third book i wrote was very similar to my experience with dave i um interviewed a woman for a month who was married to uh the headmaster of a very prestigious boarding school in new england i'm not allowed to say which one but one day the fbi came knocking on her door and they told her that her husband was being accused of sexual assault wow. by five of his former students so oh, man she had to become like a spy within her own home and help the fbi take him down but the thing is, he was always sort of one step ahead. It's totally true story. Uh, it's fucking awesome. It, it has like a little bit of like an acid-tongued ending because it's it's like it's a totally true story. The Spotlight team at the Boston Globe actually investigated it after they investigated the Catholic Church. So it was like a ma oh wow massive deal. Oh my, they found like, like the big story <coughs> of the six, Catholic Church. Sixty-seven different wow. boarding schools were caught with at least one sexual assault uh, so charge between a member of faculty and a student. So I heard about that story, uh, I did all of that work, and then that sort of like kickstarted my interest in like investigative storytelling. So when I heard Dave's story, I was all over it. And then this past October, I was sort of hired, sort of like told about a story down in Panama. So I went to Panama for a month to uh, interview a bunch of people. And I'm currently writing that book now as well. Oh, good, man. Well, man, I can't thank you guys enough for coming in and, and sharing all this. You know, I told you 
uh, when we first started this, uh, Adam Clausen is the one guy that changed how I view uh, people that have been incarcerated for doing awful things, and now there's two. Man, that, that really, I appreciate that so much. Thank you for coming in, man. Thanks All right, Lana, me. I don't know if you know how to end the show. <laughs> don't fuck this up, Lana. <laughs> don't fuck this up, but push whatever fucking buttons. And the, is there a button that says stop or end or? Transition to the thing? Yeah, like right now. Like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>